International. Welcome, welcome to The Listening Room. My name is Joey Zimmerman. I am a stand-up comedian and shaman living here in beautiful Austin, Texas. Um, This is The Listening Room, a live storytelling show that I've created uh, because I believe every human is a book filled with stories to share. Some funny, some sad, some a mixture of both because life is totally like that. (laughs) And uh, boy, howdy, do we have uh, a fun group of people here on the first episode. We got uh, Andrew Dismukes, Jesse Hensley, John Toll, Melody Shiflet, and JT Kelly. You can follow all these people on Twitter, um, Andrew Dismukes, at Andrew Vinny, um, Jesse Hensley, at, at Jesse Wayne, John Toll, at John Toll, Melody Shiflet, at Melody Shiflet, JT Kelly, at JT Smelly. And of course, you can follow me um, at Joey, Z-I-M-M-E. Um, this happens the second Saturday of every single month, recorded at Genuine Joe's Coffee House in, in North Austin, 8 p.m., free. Um, yeah, so if you ever find yourself in Austin and you're looking for something fun, um, come on down to the listening room as we have a lot of interesting tales of the human experience to share your way. Um, I hope you really, really enjoy the first episode. I had a lot of fun doing the show. Please search... Uh, Body Tape, I-N-T-L, on Stitcher, iTunes, wherever uh, you can get all your podcasts. Um, and please rate and subscribe to The Listening Room. Uh, I hope you enjoy it. I hope you love it. I hope the experience is yours. And I hope everyone has a beautiful, beautiful day and a splendid tomorrow. See you later, space travelers. This is it. 
parties are, don't always have loud music. You know, sometimes parties just friendship, being around with friends in the space. <laughs> uh, this is good. I like being here, and by here, like I mean this room too. But I mean also mean Austin. In about like a week or so, it'll be my uh, one year anniversary to moving here to this glorious city. Yeah, fucking best decision I think I've ever made <laughs> for myself and my life. Um, the year I moved here, I did not know I was going to move here. It was definitely like a couple months beforehand. Uh, beginning of January 2015, found myself sleeping in my car in Nebraska. Um, it was a uh, very different <laughs> experience. I, uh, I, was, uh, I was sleeping in my car because I used to, used to live with this girl, and obviously that, didn't, <laughs> that ended that ended and one can't live with someone who things aren't going well with, so you gotta, you gotta maybe just sleep in your car for a little bit, you know? Uh, but I had some friends who were uh, helping me as well. Um, I, I worked at this bar, this nightclub venue. My buddy Eli, uh, he owned the place, and he let me sleep in his green room. Um, perhaps a little too loud. Go back here, Josh, get in that. Get in that. The beta, beta show, everybody. Beta, beta show. But yeah, and, uh, he, he knew I was in a rough pit, so I used to sleep in his green room every now and then, too. And then I had friends who, uh, who would let me crash on their couches. So, uh, turn the, yeah, yeah. I almost like it a little less. A little less? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, sleeping on couches, sleeping in places that aren't bad, that aren't my own thing. So after, and I was bartending, and, uh, not really spending any money, so I had the thought, like, hey, I'm probably gonna move. Why don't I just move to a new place? Why don't I give that give that a try? Uh, so I developed this project where I had this couple Kodak film cameras, and I started taking pictures of every place where I would sleep. I'd sleep in like my friend's green room, all my friend's couches, uh, my car, maybe a lady's bed. Who knows? Luck may lightning may strike me again. Who knows? Um, <laughs> So I started taking pictures of where I was sleeping, and I went on this big trip. And I went down to, to Kansas and Oklahoma City, to Austin, to Albuquerque, Phoenix, Grand Canyon, Vegas, Zion National Park, Colorado, and back on this like trail of happiness, trying to find like where should I be, where am I comfortable, who am I going to meet, what's going on. Um, so I was I was I was driving around, just taking photographs of all these places where I was where I was at. Um, everything was fine. First couple. Like a week or so, I was gone for like a little over a month. Uh, Kansas City, Lawrence were really fun, great places there. Oklahoma City's fun. Austin's a real blast. I had a lot of fun at shows here. Um, a show in Albuquerque falls through, so I just book it 14 hours across the desert to Phoenix, where I stay with my buddy. Um, <laughs> stay with my buddy in, in Phoenix, where Nothing too good really happened to Phoenix. I just stayed in his house on this golf course and I did a lot of cocaine with him. Just did a lot of blow. Uh, and then that was like the first time I did blow since last time I almost OD'd in October of 2014. So I was like, woo! <laughs> Thank you, Courtney, for helping me on my bathroom floor. That was good. Thank you for saving me on a park bench. Um, so it wasn't really a good time in Phoenix. Uh, I was just partying a lot with these guys and we went out. And my friends, uh, my friend Jeremy, my friend's little gay friend Jeremy, just gave me a little baggie of DMT. Not really little. There's a lot in there. There's a good, fair amount. So now I have this item on my person, on my character adventure. I didn't know what I was going to do if I even needed it. I was just having it on me. Uh, so I left after there. After Phoenix left, went up to the Grand Canyon. Camped in the Grand Canyon a couple days for two days. Uh, one day in the middle of the night, did not know that you could 
that do this. I get my tent shaken, and I'm like, what's going on? And it's a park ranger. And they're like, you can't, you can't camp here. And I was like, what do you mean, man? It's just the wilderness. She's like, it's, uh, you have to have a reservation on the Grand Canyon. You just can't drive in and camp somewhere, I thought. I didn't know the West was all commodified. I didn't know there wasn't anywhere left I could go. She said it was full, and I looked around. I was just completely alone. I was like, you're telling me the Grand Canyon is full? No one else? I was okay. <laughs> so she, I got kicked out of the Grand Canyon for camping illegally, I guess. Uh, and then I, after that, I drove, uh, drove, drove to Vegas, where I had my show, show in Vegas. Uh, it was a fun time, and throughout this this whole new this adventure, like you do with your ex girlfriend, you still talk to her. You know what I mean. You still have the communication going back and forth. Things are going on. Like maybe I'll get back together. Who knows what's going to happen? We're having this fight, this texting, calling fight, while I'm in Vegas. And I'm like, I'm just going to do my show and then get drunk and gamble at my hotel. And she's like, I'm going to a party. I'm like, fine, whatever. I go do my thing, and she goes to this party. I. Uh, Night was fun, comedy show was alright, and I just got, uh, went back to my hotel that was on the strip at the SLS Vegas, and I gambled with this guy who may have been Pitbull's manager, the artist known as Pitbull, we all listen to him, Pussy So Wet, I Need Goggles, see that genius, that made, that Shakespearean, you think he was his manager, he, she's like, check this out, he showed me pictures, like Pitbull at his desk in his office, and behind the scenes at concerts with Pitbull, it's either like Pitbull's like really good friend, who like tries to be his man? It says people in drunken Vegas that he's his manager, or maybe he was. Who knows? I did not know this man. Uh, I just got really drunk with these guys, and they're high rollers, and they're just buying me drinks. So I was just letting it happen, and uh, get really drunk, wake up, pass out my hotel, my hotel room uh, with another person. We went dancing in this little club, and I ended up with another person. Isn't that crazy? Maybe one thing happens, and another person's there, and you wake up. It's like, whoa, what's going on? Um, <laughs> sneakily packed all my things. My phone's dead. I have to charge it in my car. So I'm leaving out of Vegas, going to Zion National Park. My phone's dead. I charge it. It's going, charging back on. It comes on. I have a bunch of missed texts, nervous calls from my, my ex-girlfriend. And uh, it just texts us, call me back. And uh, I call her. And uh, at the party that she went to, uh, she got raped at it. And I felt like, uh, I felt really, I felt guilty. I felt like uh, I shouldn't have been on this trip. I should, like, if I was there, like, maybe this would not have happened. Maybe, as if it could have maybe done anything at all, perhaps. Um, and then she tells me another thing. She's like, and also, one more thing I need to tell you why uh, we, like, stopped. Part of the reason why I had to like stop seeing you, like you had to move out, was also because I was seeing insert name of one of my good friends. So I was like, what? At first, like I was like, when that happened to her, I was like, I wanted to teleport back to Nebraska. I was like, back to home, you know, so I could protect her, be her. And then she told me that, and I was like, no, I just want to teleport somewhere. <laughs> Not, I don't know what home is. I don't know. Is my definition of trust, like all the quality of trust, got like completely destroyed. So I felt like there's friends of mine who know, but they didn't tell anything to me. It's like, why would you not say anything to me? Didn't we have like a friendship? Isn't that how friendships work? So I was like, I don't know if I want to go back <laughs> to Nebraska. Uh, so I parked, uh, same thing, I, went, I got to Zion, and same thing happened in Grand Canyon. They're like, yeah, you need a year in advance to camp here. I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> like, can't I just camp? Can't I just set up a tent? 
so I parked my car like three miles outside of the site and I just walked <laughs> through it with uh, my backpack, sleeping bag, a bunch of PB&J's water, and a little baggie of DMT from Phoenix. Don't forget <laughs> about that. Joey found himself at the top of a hill and uh, then I looked up how to just put powder DMT because I didn't have any fire to ignite it and it's like I looked on the internet and the internet said I could either put it in my butt or I could just like snort it just straight to the main brain snort story, but it's like if you do that, like good luck. Like watch out, it's gonna be a pew. I was like, I can't put it in my butt. It's too messy. It's windy. It's like I gotta just, it's I gotta. That's <laughs> <laughs> my excuse. It's windy. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I just curled my little index finger like so, put a big old mound in there, and bow, just bowed in it, man. A little baptism, a little. Sat underneath a tree and I just had a, felt like an acid trip at the very beginning and I just folded inside of myself. Whole DMT trip, another story for another time. There's definitely a lot <laughs> in that thing. But I was definitely towards the end filled with a lot of a lot of love. I remember being in front of three figures of a person of like a friendship, a friendship love, an intimate figure love, and like a parental guided, guided figure love. And they were reassuring me of a... Uh, I don't know what, it's just, it just felt very reassuring. It's like, things are, it's what happens. <laughs> and they were just like, it's okay. And I was like, what's going on? And I just knew I was good. I was good. And I came through like a membrane thing and just blinked away the cobwebs. And I was back in this world feeling kind of clear, feeling not really any different at all, feeling maybe I kind of just ruined my brain perhaps. I don't really know. Um, so... And the one, and then like the best thing after that is because I felt so pure after that. After that, I moved, I was I went to Colorado where my friend in Canyon City said I could stay with him, and he worked as a river raft guide at this camp for troubled youth in the mountains. And he's like, "You can come up here, crash with me, uh, and eat at our mess hall. I just ask that you kind of you help and you contribute to this group, and and uh, that's how you can like pay yourself." And I got there, and I they weren't the campers weren't there yet, and I had to make these locks for them. It's, is I had to nail down wood and like a like a man and throw a canvas sheet over it. Me and this old war vet named Gary, we made like twenty of these houses, these little tiny houses. And I felt like I felt really I felt so good. I felt like I was contributing, like I was making something for these people. <laughs> and then the campers came and I wasn't doing anything except being a vagabond and like smoking weed in the corner and they're like, Joey, this doesn't look good for these troubled youth who are coming here to I was in my own place. They were like, you, you know, thank you for being here for now, but I think you might need to, you might need to go. Uh, then my friend uh, told me of uh, this nudist colony and uh, Valley View Hot Springs. If you ever want to check out a nudist colony, go to Valley View Hot Springs in Colorado. I stayed with these people for two days, did some shrooms, and dipped in some warm pools. And that was very, it was very reassuring. And then I went to some shows in Denver and I was good because I saw a lot of my Denver friends. And I was taking pictures all throughout this whole thing and I came back, but I still didn't feel like, like I don't know what spot it was like. What spot am I gonna go to? Where am I gonna be? What's going on? Uh, and I developed, developed a film. And I was like, I'm gonna look at all these pictures and I'm gonna see, <laughs> this, this is the film strip. I don't know if you can see in the light, but none of them developed. <laughs> None of my pictures that I wanted to look at all these places and be like, which one did I like? They nothing. Just there's like one or two, and they're very not fine places like a dirty one bed in my green room. Like not, I was like, first I was angry. I was like, I can't believe that this project meant nothing. But then I felt so, so positive that it meant nothing. It was like I'm not really supposed. 
and it wasn't supposed to mean anything. This like happiness adventure. I don't think that is a that is a thing. Like I did have happiness on the adventure, but it wasn't in like the places specifically I was at. I was usually at a comedy show or with some friends and like doing my 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 what I love to do, and that's where the that's where the happiness came from. So it was a realization of not on this pursuit of happiness, but rather just knowing oneself can be the source of it. And uh, finding that the, it's like the place, I mean, I don't know if I'll ever be home, you know what I'm saying? I don't know if I'll ever be comfortable in a place. I mean, comfort is, uh, won't make, maybe make you not make good art anymore, you know what I'm saying? Gotta keep, I like told my, I tell myself that it's like, I'm like, I don't really have a home. Like this body is my home, you know what I mean? I'm home, home is where the body goes, am I right? And now my body is in Austin, Texas, and I am uh, telling some awesome stories and meeting new people and creating really fun things. And that's gonna do it for uh, my opening story. Thank you guys so much. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Hey, you guys wanna get this started at the next performer? This guy is a very talented young man uh, who's on the Moon Tower Comedy Festival. Really, really funny dude. I love him a lot. He's great. Uh, everyone give it up for Andrew Dismukes. Thank you. Jim and Joe's. How are we doing tonight, you guys? That's awesome. Great story, Joey. Uh, guys, a uh, little bit about me to get started. Uh, my parents are divorced, like yours. My parents are divorced. Uh, my dad, he actually remarried. He married a, a very nice younger woman. Uh, she's very active on social media, much to my chagrin. Uh, she's one of these people, she likes to share viral conservative Facebook posts. You know what I'm talking about? It's always like a link to a really inflammatory headline. It's just like, ah, oh, reveal, Planned Parenthood's run by ghosts. And you're like, what? Whoa! Defund it now. Uh, but that's great. And then my dad, he's a bit of a weird guy. He's gone through a midlife crisis for kind of the past 15 years. In the past 15 years, he's lived in Key Houston, Texas, Key Largo, uh, Knoxville, Tennessee, and London. And every time he moved to one of those cities, he adopted just the most cartoonish personality possible that you could imagine existing in that town. Like when he lived in Key Largo, he just was like obsessed with being a pirate and was like drinking rum every day. And then when he lived in Knoxville, he was a farmer, which was bullshit because he's an electrical engineer from fucking, I don't know, bumfuck Texas. He doesn't know anything. And then when he moved to London, he was, he was a fancy boy and he was walking around with his peacoat and shit like that. So me and my dad, we don't really get along. I love my mom a lot. I love my mom a lot. She's a great lady. I remember whenever we, I love my mom, but you know, single mom, she was just a teacher raising three kids and had a lot of money going around. I remember, I, I think everybody did this, but like anytime we got sick, all we did was drink Sprite. Like that was our only cure for anything. And my mom would be like, what's going on? Crack a cold Sprite, son, and do that. I remember, and so here we get to the, the first part of the story, which is 9-11. Uh, 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 I remember on, when 9-11 happened, I was in the second grade, and I was home alone, sick, because I had the rotavirus, and I was just drinking a lot of Sprite. <laughs> 
I remember when it happened, I was sitting on the floor of my living room with my can of Sprite, second grade, just in my underwear, watching cartoons, and then they cut the cartoons, and they were like, whoa, 9-11's happening, it's crazy. And uh, I didn't know what to do. Nobody had prepared me for that. You know, when my mom left the house that day, she wasn't like, all right, Drew, hey, I know you have the rotavirus, so just drink your Sprite, watch your cartoons, it'll be fine. Uh, if a national tragedy happens, just drink a lot more Sprite. Just that'll make it better. Just drink as much Sprite as possible, and you'll be fine. And so that was that experience. And then a few years later, down the road, uh, I'm in school, and uh, I'm kind of a dick. I was definitely a dick in school. Uh, it was weird, though, because I was like equal parts of bully and a nerd. You know what I mean? Like, at school, I would just be making fun of everybody, but then I'd go home and watch Naruto for the rest of the day. Uh, I'd just be like, hey, go fuck yourself, loser. Oh, Sasuke, no! That was my life I was a little bit and uh, I was a dick and uh, I, I this is my one of my lowest points in my life uh, which is it's not that big of a deal but it's just a very mean thing was I actually uh, in, in fifth grade there was a, a, a teacher that I did not care for and uh, I really didn't have like a lot of friends I was kind of hyper and annoying but sometimes I would like say like really shitty mean stuff about people and then people would be like Andrew's tight because he's being shitty about that person and so I wrote a song about this teacher that everybody didn't like and it was called Mrs. Laverne colon the dumb fat bitch and yeah pretty terrible thing to do and uh, I was walking around class walking around the school singing this song fifth grade everybody's like man Andrew's really cool taking Miss Laverne the teacher who gets bullshit taking it to her and then uh, I got called into the the principal's office and they were like Andrew we heard that you've been singing this song about Mrs. Laverne is it true and I denied it and they were like okay you're free to go and then I left and I was like that's it that's all I have to do to get out of this is just say that no because what they did instead was they set up a sting operation to catch me in the act of singing the song. And what they did was they exploited me sexually. All right, what they did was they went to the most beautiful girl in fifth grade, the most beautiful girl in fifth grade, and brought her in on it to be like the honeypot to like catch me <laughs> singing the song, which is like weird to do to a kid, but it's even weirder to think about the teachers meeting and being like, what are we gonna do? And then one gym teacher is just like, let's get Hannah Walker in on this. She is, she's got it, she's got it. No boy can resist her charms. Somebody had to know that Hannah Walker was fucking banging, dude. She was, she was gorgeous. I actually had a, an encounter with her in seventh grade when uh, I was on my way to the Renaissance Fair uh, with the National Junior Honor Society. Uh, and uh, we stopped at this gas station, and it was a unisex bathroom at the gas station. We stopped so everybody could go to the bathroom. And uh, right at this point, there's somebody in the bathroom 
I'm next in line to go to the bathroom, and Hannah Walker, the most beautiful, the honey pot, is right behind me. And the guy who's in the bathroom right now has been in there for a very long time. And then Hannah turns to me and she goes, man, that guy's taking a really long time to pee. And then I looked at her and I went, I can pee really fast. To impress her. And uh, then she went, oh, really? And at that point, the guy in the bathroom came out and I just went, Tommy! And then I ran into the bathroom and proceeded to pee as fast as possible, painfully fast, clenching my abs, farting the whole time. It was terrible, but they used Hannah Walker, they enlisted her to, to, to coerce me into singing the song. And so uh, I go, I'm walking, we're in transition between classes, I'm walking, Hannah Walker comes around the corner, and she goes, Andrew, can you sing that song that you've been singing for me? So I start singing the song, and then Mrs. Gregory, another one of the teachers, comes around the corner, and she's like, gotcha. And then I go to the principal's office, and I'm like, all right, one, you lied to us about the song, two, you wrote this song, and it's a terrible thing to do. And uh, the principal just goes, I think you should get some SWATs. And I was like, what? <laughs> she was like, SWATs, I'm gonna SWAT you. And she called my mom. SWATs, if you don't know, is like paddling me with a paddle on the behind. And she called my mom and was like, hey, Andrew wrote this really mean song about a teacher, which you are also a teacher. Uh, is it okay if I SWAT him? And my mom was like, fucking get him, dude. <laughs> Fucking tear him up, dude. Give him three more and say, Mama sent those. <laughs> and so I, in the principal's office, I got five SWATs. They didn't even, the thing is, is like, SWATs were a thing for the middle school. Like the middle school, like mostly with the athletics department, like the coaches would SWAT, like their football players. Fifth grade principals did not have paddles for hitting kids, so they had to import a paddle from the middle school. Like somebody, they called up the middle school and were like, bring it, and then somebody carried like a briefcase over and like set it down and I had to turn two keys at the same time to pull out this paddle and then just whack my douchey fifth grade ass. Uh, and I got five and it fucking hurt. And then I had in-school suspension for the rest of the year, and guess who ran in-school suspension? Mrs. Laverne. <laughs> That's why I hated her so much, because I was always in trouble, and she was always like coming down on me when I was in trouble. And then, yeah, she was just, don't feel too bad for her, because the entire time I was there, she was like really passive-aggressive to me, where she was just like, maybe you, she was acting like she didn't know that I had, what I had done. She was like, maybe you should write a letter to the teacher you wrote that song about. And I was like, all right, yeah, maybe I should, but you shouldn't be so coy about this. We're here for months together. And so that happened. And then more recently, now I am a, uh, I'm in college. I went on a trip with my grandpa to Louisiana to meet my relatives. I'm Cajun. Anybody here Cajun? We got any Cajuns in the house tonight? I right on. I'm Cajun in the house. I'm Cajun. Uh, if you don't know, any, if you don't know anything about Cajun culture, uh, it's dumb as fuck. I don't know anything about it. It's a dumb culture. But I went and I met all these people, 
and they told me this story while I was there, and they acted like they couldn't believe I hadn't heard this story. Apparently, this is like the family story, and uh, it was that my back when my grandpa was a kid, back during the Depression, uh, his older sister, my aunt Mary Bell, was like the most beautiful girl in the town, and this rich man wanted to marry her, and so my grandpa arranged for Aunt Mary Bell to marry this rich man. And then they were married for a time. They had a daughter. And then rich man didn't want to be married to Mary Bell anymore. But back in those days, divorces were like very different. And in Louisiana, there's something called Napoleonic Law, which like prevents certain things from being easy. It has to pass through a kind of more religious hierarchy with those kinds of things. So instead of divorcing her, he checked her into an insane, insane asylum. <laughs> like a 1930s insane asylum. <laughs> like the scary place people go to in movies now, because it's scary now. Back then when it was scary, that was where she went. And she was there for years, and like she didn't have any problems. The man just didn't want to be married to her anymore. And my grandpa, he's just a, my great grandpa, he's just a poor farmer, he can't get her out. And so they keep visiting her, she's like losing her mind, she's going crazy in there. And then eventually what they do is they go, him and one of my grandpa's brothers, my Uncle Joe, they go to the insane asylum and they like check her out and they have to bring her back by noon. They check her out for like a day visit. And they just, when she gets in the car, they're like, hey, we're going, we're taking you, we're going to Texas, that's where we're going to be now, that's where we're going to live. And then she goes, not without my baby. And so they have to drive to the rich man's house, because that's where the baby is. And they break into the rich man's house, and they get the baby, and they kidnap this baby, and then take care of, they now have a kidnapped insane asylum patient and a kidnapped kid, and they're driving to Texas, and then before they get to the end of Texas, like, the asylum is like, she's not back, so they're sending cops after them now. They're outrunning the cops with two kidnappies in there. And then they drive to Texas, and then all they said was they go into hiding for a while. And Aunt Mary Bell and uh, the, the little girl, they go into hiding for a while there. And then eventually uh, Aunt Mary Bell, because she was in an insane asylum for so long, can't like take care of this child. So my grandpa has to move to Texas to help her with the child. My grandpa lives in Texas, meets my grandma, has their kids, those kids have kids, I'm that kid, 9-11 happens, I write a mean song about Mrs. Laverne, and then I'm here, hearing this story. So the whole reason why I even lived the life I did, or even was born at all, was because some dick checked her, his wife into an insane asylum, and then we kidnapped him and took him to Texas because we couldn't be in Louisiana anymore because we were wanted for kidnapping these people. And then now I'm just a shitty fucking Naruto watching piece of shit making fun of teachers. And it just, there's no, there's no, you have no control over anything. You have no control over anything. Bad things lead to things that, like, a bad thing led to me being alive. I can't, that's crazy that that happened. It's crazy that because this piece of shit 
did that shitty thing. Later, a little piece of shit was born, and he did shitty things elsewhere in the country, and we're just on a rock in space, and it's on fire, and we're just moving through it, and nothing matters. And I don't know, I was just really overwhelmed, and they told me that story about kidnap, kidnapping two people, and then my family not getting to live in Louisiana anymore, because we were wanted. And uh, then they were just like, how's the weather? Like, they just acted like, they didn't just drop that on me. They just acted like, yeah, it's just, you come to Louisiana, we tell you some whimsical southern gothic tales, and then you get out of here. But guys, that's my time, that's my story. Thank you all so much. and zeros and how you feel about it 
And if you live in a completely giving, merciful way to everything you do in life, then you're going to be given that to keep giving. Then you won't have a single bad day because you're no different than the stars that we're surrounded by, so why not act like it? I guess that's where I want to start this. So my buddy hit me up to be officiate his wedding, and he was like, my friend was going to do it, but he was Lutheran, and he started asking a lot of crazy questions about our spirituality that we couldn't answer in a good way. So we knew you were Catholic and pretty loose around that, so we thought we'd ask you if you come in here and do that. And I was like, totally fine. And it's, I, I love the fact that I was, I was in there to, to replace somebody who, who didn't believe in them when I also didn't believe they should even be dating. But that's really neither here nor there. <laughs> The wedding ceremony was beautiful, and I wish them all the luck. <laughs> it's just fun. On the way up to, on the way up to, uh, I had to drive from Houston to Columbus, and much like Joey in our journey around the world, it's it's a lot of miles, and it's a lot of listening to coast to coast AM in the middle of the night. So east to the Rockies, Sasquatch line, fuck yeah! I want to know what you're talking about, and that's my favorite time to be just in the middle of the night in the desert and driving and. We're just north of Houston, and it, it like it's cool because it takes me back to like when we were on the road in the band, like in the in the Christian band, which was fun because we were just pull, like we were just five dudes in a van. It was like it was like November two thousand one, and we were on tour. It's funny, yeah, it's for sure, almost like fifteen years, and so we end, at the end of the show. If you don't have a place to stay, you have to sleep in the van, unless somebody in the band pretty much con somebody into letting us go into their house to sleep for free because we don't have any money for a hotel and nobody wants to sleep in the van because it's gross. And so this drunk dude at the end of one of our shows was there and he was like, y'all want to stay at my house? I live in the Everglades. And I was like, the fucking Everglades in the middle of nowhere? And he goes, yup. And I go, fuck yeah, we're going to the Everglades. Let's go. <laughs> that dude got in our van and drunk as shit drove us all the way to his house, like highways, like two-lane roads, 45 miles an hour, small towns, dirt roads, sand roads. We're in his driveway. We pull up in front of this dude's house, and he's got, you guys ever see Friday the 13th when everybody tries to run away from Jason and they go to that house in the middle of the forest where they think he's not going to live there first? He fucking lives in the forest. You know what I'm talking about? And so like, that dude lived in that kind of shack is exactly what we pulled up to. And then he let us in and he did not own a light bulb that wasn't red. That's real shit. You know what I mean? It was like disturbing. <laughs> like, it smelled like a goth's bedroom. Like, you know what I mean? Like that same vibe, you know? One wall had like velvet paintings of like naked black chicks. And then, and then the other wall was like collectible Nazi memorabilia. It never made sense. We were just kind of looking around and then he was like, you guys want the rest of the tour of the house? We're like, not really. And then he, we went into the bedroom and he had one of those sex swings that you bolt the rafter and one of those like eye bolts and shit. And it looked like it had been heavily used. And I felt like the lights were even redder in there than they were in the rest of the house. And then he looked at us and he's like, you guys want to shoot guns? We were like, fuck yeah, we're going to shoot guns. Let's go, you fucking maniac. <laughs> he, went, he went in and it was gun, he had a gun safe. That's the level of this dude being alive in the world, being a drunk guy, letting a van stay at his house. <laughs> and he opened up the gun safe. You know how many guns he had? We all had a gun. That's so many guns he had. <laughs> 
And there we were standing in this dude's kitchen with our guns raised over our hand like a Christian metal posse that we were waiting to shoot guns. And we were like, where are we going to do this? And he goes, I just shoot out of the back door of my kitchen, man. <laughs> what? <laughs> Fuck yeah, we are. Let's go. He went first. AR-15, like the scary one they talk about in the news. Yeah, that one. He rains 30 bullets over the trees into the fucking Everglades. Looks back at us with a maniac fucking smile. And I go... Who lives over there, dude? <laughs> and he goes, oh man, don't worry about them. They're just poor people. <laughs> what? I was like, dude, we live in a van. Do you understand that, right? You're letting us, like, you're basically saving our lives at this point. My buddy went next. He, had a, he was from Canada, and he hadn't really shot a gun before. And he, he pulled out his pump shotgun, and he looked back at us, and he's like, he said something just completely derogatory and then dumped a couple shotgun rounds into the backyard. I went next. I had a 9mm, which I turned sideways. I don't know how you guys play duck hunt, but that's the level that I shoot at. <laughs> and I'm like, fuck, 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 fuck. Like the gun's making real noise. I'm yelling, fuck, 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 over the top of it. <laughs> so I, I empty that clip. And everybody ends up shooting. It goes 45 minutes, and the whole kitchen is just full of like smoke, and it's hanging there in the air. And he looked at us through it, and he's like, y'all want to play heavy metal in my family room? And we're like, the fucking family room with the naked black chicks and the Nazi memorabilia in the middle of the fucking swamp that smells like fucking gunpowder? Fuck yeah, we're going to play heavy metal in your fucking house. Let's go. And I ran outside to unlock the van, and as I put the key in the lock, I was tackled by a Daytona police officer who had a gun to the back of my head. This is where the SWAT comes in, because the SWAT officers were coming up the sand drive up to the dilapidated shack. Giant light shone on the front of the house. I want everybody to drop their guns and come out with their hands up to see one scared Christian metalhead after another leave this place. Through my, my vision, I have a knee in my back, but I get to watch this with one eye as these people are horrified and the sound of clanking guns in the background as everybody believes that their life is over. And that's when you really start to pray and you really start to ask for things. And funny how in the most dire situation you can have this answer. And that's what I'm here to say is that faith is a real thing and you have to trust this reality because if you don't, you're just going to spend your life doubting. But I like what Alan Watts said, if you don't trust, then how do you trust your own mistrust? My brain broke in half in the middle of a fucking desert when I heard that one. And that stuck with me forever. We were all arrested with handcuffs on and leaning up against squad cars and we were being interviewed. Mind you, it was a month after 9-11, so they wanted to know what we were doing, why we were all wearing camouflage. Because <laughs> that's what a hardcore band looks like. They wanted to know if we were in a fucking militia, if we were in a gang, if we were terrorists. I looked at a cop straight in the face and I said, no sir, I'm just punk rock, is something that I said. <laughs> That guy, when the watch commander showed up to assess the situation, he walked the whole line of the band. And everyone, you could see him visibly shaking, and the dude who owned the house was at the end, and he was still doing that kind of Lego drunk where your feet are like jammed into the ground and you're still kind of swaying back and forth. 
And like the dude like looked at us like we were in the military and like was giving us the look of what was wrong with us and he got down to the end and he looked at this dude and he's like, Randy, you son of a bitch. And this fucking watch commander gave this dude the biggest bro hug in the history of bro hugs. And we were like, what the fuck is going on? And like apparently this dude does this every time a fucking band comes in town. <laughs> They get to use it as an exercise. <laughs> the watch commander looks at the dude and he goes, uh, we'll give you your guns back tomorrow, just like we did the last time. So, <laughs> guns are, guns are a, an interesting thing in this town. It's, it's, it's not good and we're not taking care of them in the way we should and we're not taking care of people in the way that we should. When I was driving out of Houston to start that 20-hour trek, um, there was a giant accident scene. It was a tiny, tiny, small town, and there was like, I don't know, you know, like when every cop in a town shows up, all of them. You know, like you know, like what a whole police force looks like. You guys have been in trouble, right? In a fucking dumb place where you shouldn't have. Okay, maybe just me. Like I have a magnet for this kind of shit. There's a bunch of cops standing on the side of the road surrounding a dead fucking horse at 2.30 in the morning. What? And I'm like slow to a crawl because I've never seen a fucking dead horse on the fucking side of the road. That was gnarly. <laughs> there was a bunch of fire engine dudes around it. They had the hook and ladder truck and I was like, who hit this horse and what does this car look like? And then I realized that there was no car and the cops were standing around the horse and one of them had a camera up and one of the other cops was down by the head and he was giving the thumbs up like he was taking a hunting photo. You know what I mean? Like a shitty dentist. And, so <laughs> <laughs> and I realized that I, and I drove by and I, and I saw that there was no car in the accident and I realized that they had just shot it because it was brown. But um, <laughs> we need to treat people better in this country. And that's where I want to leave you. God bless. John Toll, everyone, give it going for him. Give it going for John. Hell yeah, hell yeah. We got two more performers. How do you guys still feel? Are you feeling good? Hell yeah, you should feel good because this next guy coming up, he's actually uh, one of my favorite storytellers in town. I don't know why I said two, we have three. Sorry, let's go swoop, we'll swoop one in. This guy's uh, really, yeah, he's one of my favorite storytellers in town. You're gonna love him, he's an absolute treat. I love this guy a lot. Give it up for Jesse Hensley, everybody! Thank you. Give it up for Joey, everybody. Y'all having fun tonight? Yeah. I, uh, let me start out and just tell y'all about where all this came from. I, uh, my name is Jesse. I grew up in Northeast Texas, like my whole life. That's where I was born and raised. So that's why whenever I talk, it always sounds like I'm about to be real racist all the time. I get it. It's my accent. It's not a big deal. I'm not. I've got a lot of friends. Uh, but I will say this. I'm aware of it. Like, y'all can stop reminding me that it's an accent. I get it. Uh, there's a lot of stuff I'm not going to talk about. Like, I'm not going to get up here tonight and talk to you guys about, like, anything important at all, not, really, not my job, frankly, and I'm going to stay away from it. What I will tell you guys is that growing up in East Texas, I honestly for a long time thought I had a normal childhood. I thought that that's just the way life was, and then I got out and I realized there's going to be a lot of things I was going to have to change in order to be a decent human being going forward. So one of those things was, I was taught growing up that men and women had different, like the double standard thing was real. 
and that's just the way it was and that we didn't have the same rules. I remember learning this because I was outside playing basketball with my dad one day. I was probably like seven years old, and I had to go to the bathroom, and I told him, time out, Dad. I got to go inside and go to the bathroom. And he was like, actually, son, look, you're old enough. You're a boy, all right? Boys can go to the bathroom outside, all right? It's one of the things boys can do. You got a wiener, just, just pull it out and go to the bathroom. Make sure nobody's looking. Have at it. And I was like, man, this is a brand new day for me because, like, that's a big deal to pee on anything you want. That was a great thing. So I remember, like, riding an amazing high for about a week and a half. And then I was outside again playing basketball. My parents weren't home. They were on their way home from work. And I remember having that same feeling needing to go to the bathroom. So I looked around, made sure nobody was looking, just like Dad said. Found a good spot right kind of by the house. It's kind of like in front of the door. And I hooked my legs uh, on the porch, turned around backwards, and took a big old dump right in front of the front door. And uh, immediately went back to playing basketball because I was really playing good that day. I was draining threes like crazy. I remember that. And uh, I remember my mom got home first, which is probably not the best scenario of the two. And I was playing, but she was like so stressful work. She was a hard worker, so like she had a long day. And she didn't even care about me draining so many threes in a row. She just like walked towards the door. And right before she gets to the poop, I'm watching because like I know I, I, I can do this, but I also kind of have a feeling that I want to see where this is going to go with this poop thing. And she almost steps in it, but she just stops and like freezes and like I like to say that she lost her shit for a little bit like but it wasn't like a lost her shit like you know like what the hell like it was like a freeze and just like glitching out for like she didn't move or she just looked at poop for way too long alright like bottom line I knew that it was gonna be bad whatever happened next and she looked up at me and I'm just sitting there with the basketball like staring at her <laughs> and she looks back down at the poop and looks back up at me and just is like did you do this <laughs> and I was like yeah and she was like Jesse you you can't you can't do stuff like this <laughs> like I don't know how else to tell you this really you just can't do stuff like this okay and I looked at her dead eyes I was like actually mom uh, you can't do stuff like this all right I'm a boy <laughs> yeah that's the day that I learned that men, men and women were equal because she beat my ass so goddamn hard. And don't get weird, it was totally okay in East Texas to beat your children back then. I don't even hold over any ill will about it. I feel like I deserved it. I did poop in front of the door, right? Like how else are you supposed to teach a kid that poops in front of doors not to? I don't know. I'm not a dad either, so good for that, I guess. <laughs> I tell you all that story to tell you this story, okay? So, like, just as a little backstory, I'm real fucking dumb. I'm just going to shoot you straight, all right? Pow, pow. That's probably illegal to say. All right, sorry. But uh, I will say, it's not my fault. I do feel like growing up where I grew up made me a little dumber. Like, I had to overcome a lot to just get to here, which is not saying a lot, but I mean... I'm here now, and uh, I was able to drive here. I read all the signs. <laughs> but I know that growing up in school, like, our schools were fucking weird. And I didn't think about it at the time, but, like, now I can see it. Like, I remember being in second grade, going through all of second grade, and all we did all day was color pictures of animals. That's it. I thought that I was going to be so good at life during that point. Uh, <laughs> I was. I was pretty good at coloring. And I remember going through all of second grade being real happy. And then the last week of school, 
teacher gets in front of the class and she's like, hey gang, we actually have a real assignment today. It's actually a pretty fucking big assignment. It's called the Greatest Texas Turtle Race. And it's worth 60% of your grade for the year, all right? So if you want to go to third grade, listen the fuck up. Uh, your assignment is, after school today, I want all of you to go home to your creeks and find a turtle. Which is fucking weird that she just assumed we all own creeks, right? That's kind of racist in a weird, not racist way. I don't know. It felt weird. But at the end of school that day, we all did go home to our creeks because she was totally right. It's like a state law in East Texas that you have to own one or your family does. My problem was, I didn't really have that nice of a creek growing up, not compared to my friends. Like, they had all these badass creeks I was pretty jealous of, because I was raised poor. And I, that's just a flat out fact, I was raised poor. My mom disputes this part of the story. She says, Jesse, you were not raised poor. And I says, all right, mom, well, I was poor, and I was also raised at the exact goddamn same time. So, <laughs> whatever you want to call that, that's what I was. And uh, I didn't have a nice creek. So I had to go down to this like real shitty creek that we had. It was kind of like it was, honestly, I'm pretty sure it wasn't even a creek. I think it was like a septic line that it busted on our property. But I found a turtle in it. So what is a creek, I guess, is the moral of that story. I got really excited about it. I took pride in that fucking turtle with poop on its back. I just wiped it off. I took it up to the shop to my dad who was working on cars because he, turns out he was a meth head. I didn't know this at the time. I thought he was just a dad. <laughs> like, I thought he was a normal person. And I took this turtle to him and I was like, Dad, I found a turtle. And he was like, oh man, you know what would make that turtle so fast? And I was like, what? He's like, spray paint it like a NASCAR. I swear to God, grown-ass man at the time, and that was his idea. I was a kid, right? So I was like, of course, that was a great idea. How about we also name him Speedy? That should help. And we go to third grade. So I take him to school on, like, Friday, which is the big day to see who's getting to go to third grade. And I'm, like, looking around, really feeling pretty decent about my chances, because none of the other turtles would look like NASCARs. And now I see my friend Urban has totally misunderstood the assignment. Slash probably found a loophole to get a third grade because he went out and bought a snapping turtle. Right? One person gets it. All right, because the rest of y'all, y'all don't get snapping turtles versus sewer turtles in a race. I am fucked, all right? I am going to be doing two second grades is what it looks like. So I'm freaking out, right? But, like, I'm just like, you know what? Let's just get it. Like, let a miracle happen. So I take Speedy out of the box, right? And I go to put it. He's in. A, he's actually asleep in his shell, right? And I want to wake him up, but I don't know how to wake up turtles, really, first off. And I go to put him down, and uh, they're like, on your mark, get set. And then a shotgun goes off for some fucking reason. Just, I guess he used Texas again. And I step back, and I just remember immediately realizing that turtles were probably allergic to spray paint. And they probably wasn't asleep. It was probably dead and shit. And I had been for about three days. I'd just been carrying that turtle around in a box. So proud of it. It was so colorful uh, and dead. And I was feeling shitty, right? I'm about to freak out. I'm crying. But I'm also looking over and the race is still happening. Because in East Texas, we don't just cancel sporting events because shit gets murdered in front of small children. That would be dumb. <laughs> Uh, it wouldn't make any sense. So I'm like freaking out, but I'm also like looking, and the big turtle's winning, the snapper's winning, but there's this other little turtle, 
He's like about the same size as mine. He looks a lot like him, but he's still alive. So there's a difference. And he's keeping up and he's winning. And I'm like, oh man, this is crazy. And I get, you know, like when you can feel somebody like staring at you, like in the back of your day, you feel like that feeling. I think big turtles can feel that too. Cause he <laughs> looked over immediately. He's like, what's happening over here? And he sees the other turtle catching up. And instead of just like going faster, he bites his fucking head off. <laughs> In front of everybody, right? Like, no shame about it. It was so much death to deal with for a seven-year-old just in, like, a ten-second span. Like, it was rough. And, like, I'm not going to, like, leave you guys all bummed out about turtle murder right now. Uh, but I will tell you this. I, I That day taught me a lot in life. It taught me how to be positive, all right? Like, don't ask me how. I just ended up making the correlation. I did find a silver lining. I actually found two silver linings from that day that helped me be the person I am today and be a positive. One, the school just decided that like all of us got to go to third grade. Like they were like, y'all have seen some shit. Okay. <laughs> so that was kind of cool, right? That was nice. And then second off, I realized now that like when we went to third grade, not only did we go, like, we walked in, like, fucking battle-hardened, dude. Like, Vietnam veterans. Like, there was, there was nothing third grade could throw at any of us that would make us cry. You know, like, I remember being there and teachers like, hey, gang, y'all better toughen the fuck up. Uh, we're about to learn long division this year. We are like, long division? Lady, last year we saw death, all right? <laughs> Thank you, guys. Y'all been so fun. Jesse Hensley, everybody, keep it going for him, keep it going. Hell yeah, hell yeah, hell yeah. The next performer, she's so talented, uh, she's a joy, I love, I love listening to her. Uh, you can catch her next week at Cold Town Theater, Thursday night, gonna be a good show, she's great, everyone give it up for Melody Shiflett. How's it going? I am a bartender, uh, and I bartend festivals a lot, um, or I used to when my back was stronger, um, but I bartend festivals, and uh, I was going to bartend Psych Fest, I don't know if you guys remember that, it's like out at a ranch, a bunch of psych bands, um, so I'm going out there, and the thing about festivals is that it's kind of like a post-apocalyptic situation. Like, there's not a lot of water, you're like covered in dirt, you know, people are like screaming at you. So I'm like walking in this like, you know, like a bad bitch, just like, fucking bring it on, dude. Like, ready for a cash grab. Uh, and I walk up, I'm assigned to the Dos Equis tent. Um, yeah, so there's a tent at the festival set up from people from New York uh, walk up and they're like, oh great, uh, my female bartender is here. Go get the girl shirts. What? What's the girl shirt? The girl shirt is a tiny little honky tonk. Like, uh, like a little bow right here. The tits popping out, you know? I'm not wearing this fucking shirt. Are you kidding? For free? Like, no. Like, money, dude, money. Come on. Like, 50 bucks an hour. Or just 50 bucks, whatever. Like, just something. You can't just make me wear this shirt. So me and the other lady were like, look, we're uncomfortable. We want to wear the dude shirts. I'm not going to wear this shirt. I'm talking to the tent manager, Stacy, And she's like, well, you have to wear a Dos Equis shirt in the Dos Equis tent. 
I'm like, yeah, give me the dude shirt. She's like, well, what if a, what if a dude bartender shows up? I'm like, well, he can wear the little shirt. Like, We're late, be on time. That's, a, that's your lesson. And when I pick the shirts, I'm on time. Uh, anyway, Stacy, the tent manager, could tell that I was, I'm gonna get this shirt, okay? I'm gonna get it. Um, and she was a little frustrated, but I think she got it. Cause like, you don't wanna wear this shirt, like, come on, you know? Also, a dude never showed up. She was like, just protecting some imaginary man's masculinity, like, <laughs> like a hypothetical. Um, anyway, that night, oh, I forgot to mention, uh, Psychfest, the people that go to Psychfest, it's not like other festivals. Like, people are dressed, like, in, like, maxi floor-length skirts with, like, crystals. Like, they look like a Japanese ghost. You know, they're just like... <laughs> well, spooky. I would, like, give them a beer and the transaction's over, and they go... <laughs> Namaste. Like, the worst thing anybody said to me... Because usually I'm people... Like, I'm used to people being like... Like, I'm like, you can't have another beer. And they're like, fuck you, you fucking bitch! And I'm like, all right, let's get out of here. But this is the worst thing anybody said to me was, you guys are being really uncool. And <laughs> <laughs> you still can't come behind the bar. That's how that works. Uh, so, yeah, it's different. Like... So we go through the day, and it's all like this, and it's very taxing anyway, it's just a lot of people. Um, and then all of a sudden, it was like, it was like God looked at the festival and was like, Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> Like, fuck you, rain came down. Just like sinister, like what you're doing is wrong kind of rain. Uh, you can see all the Japanese ghosts like drifting away in a river of mud. Just it's much spookier than it was to begin with. We're like huddled under tents, trying not to get electrocuted, like covered in trash bags. It's yeah, it's serious. So uh, the next day, I uh, you know we are all looking at each other. Anybody who was there the day before is just like, what the fuck was that? Like are we going to make it through this weekend? What does this weekend have in store for me? Well, I lost my grandmother's ring. And this was a ring that uh, she gave to me before she died. And it was a ring that her dad had given to her in Mexico in the 40s. So, I mean, it's a piece of shit. Like, it's like an adjustable... It doesn't have a real stone in it. It just is a piece of plastic, and it, like, flaps around. But it's special to me. Like, it's it's my ring. It's my, it's my heirloom piece. I lost it. Yeah, I didn't know where it was, and I was like, all right, I'm just going to get through this weekend, and I'll scour my room. I don't know. Uh, and then I also shat my pants after, after my shit. You know, guys, don't trust a fart, right? Don't trust a fart. Eat your vegetables, that's something. It's like, it's like crossing a busy street. Like, if you have a single shred of doubt, just don't do it. Like, just, just if you think you're gonna run for it, don't. Just don't. Make that call. Um, so I shat my pants, uh, and the parking lot was the closest, so I like, luckily I hadn't made it outside of the, you know, 
in the, I don't think it did. I just had to get to assess my situation. It's just like, oh God, I better go out here. So I go out there, get my knife out, cut off my panties, and I'm looking in my bag just like, do I have napkins, do I have anything? Fresh Dos Equis towel. No, I don't always wipe my ass with a towel. It's Joe Sackies. Uh, yeah, so I wiped my ass with that. That's what I think of your shirt. Uh, so, you know, the next day, I go to the festival and I'm like, what else are we going to do today, you know? Um, well, Stacy's there and she had been crying. I was like, hey, what's, what's wrong? And she was like, well, I left my, my favorite jean jacket. I've had it for 10 years. I left it at the coffee shop this morning. And it had my grandmother's pin on it. And I already called them. It's gone. You know. I was like, hey, well, you know, I totally understand. I've lost my grandmother's ring recently. It's really upsetting. And like, I bet if somebody knew how much it meant to you, they would give it back, right? Like, when you just draw a flyer? And she was like, I leave tomorrow morning, 5 a.m. I had no time. And I was like, all right, look, you were really cool about the shirts. I'll draw your flyer. Like, you tell me what it looks like, I'm gonna draw it out, put your contact information on there. Somebody will send it in, I swear. And I did, and they did. So give it up, guys, for humans. They're not, they're not all garbage. <laughs> they're not all garbage. Well, she had called me and told me, like, thank you so much, I can't, you know, I don't know how to repay you, but I did comp you, like, six cases of Dos Equis at the warehouse, if you pick them up whenever, and I was like, yeah, thank you so much, like, I didn't get my ring back, um, I don't know, I was upset, but I'm glad I could help you out, and um, my friend was going to throw a birthday party house show at my house, um, and I don't need a hundred beers for myself, so it's just like, yeah, give it to the party gods. And um, <laughs> the day of the party, I walked into my living room, and my roommate was wearing my grandmother's ring. And I dropped it outside, and she found this piece of shit ring, and she was like, oh, cool, <laughs> whatever. Uh, and I had never experienced like actual just like sheer joy, like just a complete body high. I was like shaking and crying. I just couldn't believe it. And I realized that our grandmothers were probably watching us this whole time. And they probably saw us, you know, fighting over shirts and like covered in mud, like shitting ourselves and, you know, uh, being ridiculous. And they thought they'd have a good laugh, you know, <laughs> just as grandmas do. Um, that's my time, guys. That's my story. Please welcome back your host, Joey Zimmerman. Holy shit, everybody! Keep it going for her. Awesome, awesome, awesome. We're down to our final performer of the night. You guys still having a blast, huh? him tomorrow at the Mohawk opening up for Neil Hamburger and Kyle Kinane. This guy's a lovely human. I love him a lot. Keep it going for JT Kelly.
Yeah, yeah, this place is so cool. It's like an episode of Buffy in here. <laughs> I love it, I love that coffee shop. Like, this is, this is so rad. Thank you for being here, guys. Uh, I've never been in jail and thought like, oh, yep, I did nothing to deserve this. Like, every time I've been in jail, I've been like, yeah, it's kind of my fault. Like, every time in jail, there's part of me that knows, like, I fucked up. But right before jail, you don't think that. <laughs> every time right before jail, I think I'm the best, and I'm like, fuck these cops. <laughs> they don't know what they're doing, they're just fucking with some guy for no reason. Like, uh, you guys ever get into an like, uh, interaction with a cop and you lie about your name? Who's done that? Who's lied? No one's ever lied about their name, you fucking pussies. I pretended to be deaf when I saw a cop. <laughs> I pretended to be a deaf person. What happened was, uh, my mom's hard of hearing. I grew up signing. ASL is my first language. I'm the fucking best at it. I uh, used to do a lot of drugs, and I was on these drugs, like just like Xanax and alcohol or whatever, uh, and then I decided it'd be a good idea to steal food. <laughs> so I went to H-E-B, kind of fucked up, a little bit trashed, and I took some steak and some sushi, because I wanted to dine and dash on a surf and turf, and I took the best steak and the best sushi, because if I was going to do this and I was going to get risky, I was going to fucking go for the gold. <laughs> I was trying to be both the prince and the pauper at the same time. And uh, I put him in a little bag, and I just walk out, and the security guard stops me. It's not a cop yet, it's just a guy that works for H-E-B, and he grabs me, and I just, I don't know, the first thing I did was just pretend to be deaf. He's like, do you have a receipt for that? And I was like, and he's like, do you have a receipt for that? And I was like, and I thought, like, you know, who's going to fucking arrest a deaf guy for stealing food? <laughs> like, I know that pretending to be deaf is wrong. I'm not saying, like, hey, here's a really cool, good thing I did, and I'm bragging about it. I'm saying, like, I messed up. I pretended to be deaf. That's a wrong thing. But also, so is arresting a deaf guy trying to steal food. I get it. Fake deaf. But he didn't know that. You know what I mean? He was sold. He thought he was stone cold being like, this deaf guy's trying to steal food. Let's get him. And him and two, another guy, another security guard there, grabbed me immediately and pulled me back in the Safeway or H-E-B or whatever. And so they're walking me through the H-E-B, and I'm pretty messed up, and I'm just trying to get away from the security, but they won't have it. They put me in, like, little plastic cuffs, and they get me into a back room. And uh, apparently I gave him a fake name. That part I don't remember. I saw in the police report later, because they called the police. <laughs> they got there, and I gave him a fake name, and I forgot what it was until I saw it. And, uh, and I learned it from my favorite line in the police report. And my favorite line in the police report is, and then Samuel Torx began to cry again. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know where Samuel Torx came from. That's such a weird, random Torx. Torx. T-O-R-K-S. Torx. So weird. But the cops show up, and they're like, all right, we're just going to run his name. If he comes back clear, we're just going to give him a ticket. And that's when Samuel began to cry the first time. Because I was like, oh, shit, they're going to see it's a fake name and come back. And they come back, and they're like, yep, name's fake as fuck. And they search me, and they find a baton. A baton that's like an extendable baton that I carried around because I lived on East Riverside. It was a good idea to have a baton on you. Uh, and the cops are kind of talking, and they're like, you know what, we can just call this guy an armed robbery. Yeah, that's when Samuel Torx began to cry again! <laughs> and I was like, oh god, I'm getting arrested on armed robbery. I know I'll just continue to pretend to be a deaf person. And I was kind of catching up at this point, thinking like, maybe this is a bad idea, because I'm definitely going to jail now. Where do I, I was like, do I come clean now? Do I, I'm just like, alright, alright, we're here. 
I'm hearing. But I didn't. I was like, I know. Keep, I'll just keep lying. That will get me out of this. Because I don't know. That's not like a normal person response. I feel like that's what someone from like a bad sketch comedy does. Like you, your response when you've been arrested is like, I know, to pretend to have a disability. <laughs> it's fucked up. I get to jail, and jail's weird when you're deaf. They have like interpreters come in, but it's always later. So the first hour, you just kind of sit there, and they start doing the intake. Uh, and as intake goes on, I get better and better at talking. Which I'm seeing, they're starting to think like, maybe this guy isn't that deaf after all. Because it went from like, man, I'm bad, I'm bad, I'm bad, I'm bad, to be like, my name is Daffy Kelly. Say, go ahead, all right, take one, nine, nine, don't take any number. And uh, we get there, and the interpreter shows up, and she's signing, and she's like, yep, he's deaf, and I'm like, got him. <laughs> and then she leaves, and I fuck up the most when my favorite part of jail happens. It's right in the intake. A nurse comes aside, and she makes you describe all your tattoos. And I was like, jackpot. <laughs> I love this. No one ever does that. And that's when my deaf voice went from like, man, she kind of just went with it. She's like, all right, this guy's not that deaf. But they keep me in general population, or gin pop, as we call it in the pen. And uh, I sit there for like five or six hours, and I'm thinking like, oh, shit. I'm still pretending to be a deaf person. Like, it's kind of starting to hit me. Like, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. And I start going up to the phone and calling uh, my parents, and they're not answering because it's the middle of the night in Texas, and they're getting a call from the jail, so of course they're not answering. They have no idea what's going on. And none of the guards seem to care. They're all just like, yeah, deaf guys use phones. They thought that was fine. And then, uh, and then we start to get, like, separated out based on, like, our charges. And uh, we all kind of have to go into this little, little tinier room to get separated. And it's just me and like eight other little dudes that probably just like try to steal food or some other dumb shit like that. And uh, I look up and I'm like, hey, uh, I've been pretending to be deaf this whole time. And the guy next to me is like, what do you mean? Because the guard's not in the room. It's just me and my criminal buddies. And he goes, what do you mean? I go, I mean, like, I've been pretending to be deaf the whole time, doing this voice. And the whole room of criminals start laughing. Because they're like, oh, that's a bad idea. <laughs> they all know, like, oh, you really shouldn't do that. <laughs> like, pretending to be deaf is bad uh, and also morally wrong, just unacceptable <laughs> in any case. Again, I'm not telling you guys, like, hey, here's a cool thing I did. This is a, don't pretend to be deaf. It only gets you in jail. And, uh... And, and, uh, and they all start laughing, and they all love it, because they all think it's a really bad idea, and then a CO opens the door again. The little, little, uh, little prison security guard guy opens the door, and they all just fall completely silent immediately. And I was like, whoa. You guys have my back. <laughs> that was the closest thing to family I ever had. Like, those guys were so on my side and keeping me deaf in jail. It was awesome. And uh, I go to my first court date in jail because that's how it works, and I'm still deaf, and there's no interpreter there, and so I lie in front of a de uh, judge and pretend to be deaf still. And uh, still no consequences burn into me. <laughs> still, I just kind of sit there thinking, this is going to work out. And then I get released from jail on a personal bond because they're like, yeah, it's just a fucking poor deaf kid. And I forget about it. I don't go to any of my court dates. I just kick it. I chill. Uh, and then I start getting warrants in the mail. And it's like, oh, right. I went to jail for armed robbery earlier this year. That's right. I forgot that that fucking happened to me. It's when I got arrested for a fucking felony. And uh, I, I find a lawyer through a friend of mine. And he starts sorting it out. And he's like, all right. Well, first thing that happened, he got a charge to theft and an unlawful carrying of a weapon. And I was like, that's cool. And then I get into a bicycle accident and I lose hearing in my left ear because of a brain injury. And like, I call my lawyer and I'm like, hey, like I fell in the city of Austin, is there any type of suit you can do? He's like, no, dude, I'm sorry, there isn't. What happened though? 
And I was like, dude, I had to get brain surgery. It sucked. I lost hearing in my left ear. And he's like, what? And I was like, oh, I lost all hearing in my left ear. And he's like, you just made your lie true. And now I'm legally deaf in Austin, but I didn't get charged with perjury, even though that's what was going to happen. They were like, this guy's clearly not deaf now, even though he's deaf in jail and went to court deaf, because uh, I had medical records saying that I was deaf in left ear. And I just get a non-conviction probation uh, for failure to ID from that stupid Samuel Torx lie. So basically, jail taught me nothing. <laughs> I went in, I lied my way in, I lied my way out, and then an injury got me out of any type of long-term consequences. Like, I expected to go to jail for like the first time in Texas and be like, Texas jail changed me. And all I did was learn how fucking crazy white privilege is. Like, they were like, oh, you got a job and your last name's Kelly? Let's do this. <laughs> Nothing on the books. Nothing on the books. All right, that's it for me. Thanks, guys. second Saturday of every month at Genuine Joe's. I uh, select a couple of my good friends up here and tell some stories and we all have a good time and hang out. Did you guys have a good time? Yeah. Oh yeah! Maybe see you next month. Thank you guys so much.